welcome to Homesteads and Homeschools. I'm your host here, the Liberty Hippie. If you guys uh, woke up this morning, Tuesday morning, and you came and you tried to go find the show and download it and it wasn't there, I, I apologize. I, I just didn't get to recording some things and uh, needed needed some time to, to do that this morning. So here we are. It's out a little bit late, but uh, I hope you guys will enjoy it. I'm pretty sure you will. My guest today is Mr. Papa Pepper. I've been trying to have him on for a long time. And I think I even mentioned him back in like episode five. So almost almost a hundred episodes ago. Um I finally got it pinned down and recorded it. So I really think you guys will enjoy it. Um he does everything. He does it all. And he's a super chill guy. So hang on, we'll we'll get there in a second. I want to remind you guys to go to uh iTunes or wherever and and rate review, subscribe, right? All those wonderful things. Um, I don't know. Supposedly it helps and, you know, it's, uh, helps to, to spread the word and get this thing out there. If you are so inclined, you can over to, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Liberty and you can do, uh, some stuff over there. And what else? Go to Keybase, go to the Keybase group, find it, um, let you in, uh, some people getting, get involved. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good place to be, good, good little community. And hopefully it can, grow a little bit more but uh i'm rambling so uh let's let's get on let's get going let's do this thing let's go plant those seeds of liberty with my guest mr papa pepper there's a house on a hill by a worn down weathered old mill in the valley below where the river winds there's no such thing as bad times in a soft Southern flame. Oh, cotton gin is her name. She wakes me up. My guest, my guest, my guest, my guest today, I, I, I'm kind of a bum and uh, I tried to get him to come on like, I don't know, I think way back when, almost when I was starting this thing, I, I reached out and kind of, I just lose track of things. But finally, finally, I'm, I'm able to get him to come on. Papa Pepper is is joining us today to talk about all the craziness that that he has going on. Thank you for for coming on and uh, finally let me let me nail you down there. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Thank you for having me. In. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like 2018 or something. I remember building my goat house uh, on the phone with you in between work, and that was some time ago for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just you know. So uh, one of those things that just kind of slips away, slips away. But um, so you are—I don't know where to start. You're you're all over the place here. You are—you have lots of videos on YouTube, and that was kind of, I think, not necessarily where I, I saw you first. I met you first on on Steam it, that, that platform over there. Um, but you managed to somehow find time through all your projects to create these videos and and upload them. So it kind of have an idea of of. Um, all the stuff you guys have have going on there. When you were a kid growing up, did you have just that massive spread that you have now of all this stuff? Or was this something that you guys kind of decided later on in life that you wanted to uh, pursue? Well, I do remember when I was coming to age, probably late teens, early 20s. It was a dream of mine and some other people. I had a, a literal blood brother. We always dreamed about just going out and living in the woods. And uh, I never really thought about it being possible or achievable, really. And we'd hear about, like, you know, certain homesteading acts or other things where you go grab 20 acres, but we uh, probably weren't motivated enough because of external influences at the time to actually take advantage of that. But yeah, a lot of it was just kind of realizing 
we had some better options than kind of what's become the status quo norm with the picket fence and the dog and the cat and the two and a half kids um, idea of life in America. So is that when you kind of found your way down to uh, where you are now? or, or Right. What happened was I had met my wife and, um, you know, she wanted to be a dental hygienist. I didn't really care what I did. And uh, eventually we, we had a child and she was going to be a stay at home. Well, actually she was going to school. So I'm like, well, I'll just take care of all the bills. So we got used to one income quickly. Mm-hmm. And then she uh, became pregnant and we really haven't stopped. She's literally <laughs> about any day now going to give birth to our seventh child. And, um, but then we decided to homeschool and other things too, where it was like, okay, you're just completely out of the old workforce and into much more important work. And, uh, what I realized is that say in Wisconsin in the winter, which is where we're from, if the power went out for two weeks, we couldn't really heat our house. We couldn't feed ourselves. We couldn't go anywhere. It'd kind of be checkmate end game. You lose. And I'm like, if we can restructure life where it's kill a goat, light a candle and put a log on the fire. That sounds better to me. So that's kind of what started it was just the the frailty of the common life. And I think especially this year with everything that's gone on, people are kind of waking up to it. Like the supply chain can break down real easily. You can be trapped in your house or on your property real easily. Like you might want to do some things in preparation for that. Yeah, for sure. I, I grew up um upstate New York and it, you know, got cold and, and snowy in the winter, but we had a wood stove growing up and and you know, the power went out and we'd melt snow for water and, you know, we put things outside if they need to stay cold and the, the fridge wasn't working or whatever. But it wasn't until I was an adult and an in-law lost power in, in New England and like they had no heat. And then it dawned on me. I was like, oh my, like I just realized that like what a what a blessing having a wood stove can can actually be. Um, and of course, that's, you know, what we do down here as well. Um, just to, to have that one little, one less thing to, to really worry about um absolutely and right now one of my main projects that i'm trying to get in like now i was working on it earlier is actually my wood stove install and just for perspective too uh last summer my grandpa died up in wisconsin he had 10 kids and they had a big storm that blew through and it was a couple of weeks but sometime during that thing nine out of his 10 children were without power and um when i left you know which was like two weeks after that some of them were still were and they were running off generators i mean if that happens in winter yeah boy it's devastating yep it's wild but um so um and it was just kind of a a climate thing that brought you guys down to to the ozarks there well we weighed a lot of options one thing is if there's a milder winter it'll take less effort to heat the house um if we have a longer growing season then we're more successful with the garden we were looking at the cost of land, the cost of property tax, and um, just kind of the homeschool freedom and different things like that, too. And the Ozarks definitely seem like the place. Yeah, that, and that was something that we kind of keyed in on, too, a little bit, just the, the cost of, of living and the, the ease of winter. You know, it's one thing. The climate is one thing, right? It's, it's a little bit warmer. But with that comes the ease of travel. You don't have to worry about certain things. And just it's it made things a little bit a little bit easier, for sure. So. In terms of gardening, I guess, and, and extending your your seasons, do you guys do you garden all year round, or is there a, a time period where kind of you put the, the gardens to bed? Um, we never stop um, in Wisconsin. Of course, usually by the time you were done with October till about May or April, um, sometimes there was just feet of snow, and, 
and uh, it was definitely a kill off. I wouldn't even put pepper plants or tomatoes in the ground till June first up there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'd start them sometimes in February in the house, and we actually would overwinter a number two because they're perennials in the tropics where. You know, they'll live for years. I think my biggest one was probably a four-year-old pepper plant. But down here, I was amazed at uh, just the opportunity. I mean, I planted kale, and it lasted from a winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, before it actually died. And that blue curly scotch kale gave us like 10,000, you know, seeds for the next generation. But I'm like, I'm not used to having it for seven seasons in a row (laughs) or things like that. So, uh, yeah, we never stopped. We do have a couple of greenhouses we want to put up, but I just have bigger priorities at the exact moment. So we grow what we can grow outside in the winter. Yeah, it uh, it is. It's interesting. The first time I, I we had kale do that, I remember, and it kind of just seeing it all pop up, all the little seeds pop up. Cause in, you know, up, up north, the, the brassicas don't really go to seed. It doesn't really carry through. And seeing it happen down here is, is mind-blowing. Right. I think even with our cilantro, um, I had a number of plants the other winter and most of them died off, but a couple of them stayed through the whole winter. And I'm like, really? I'm like, well, these are the ones we'll be saving the seeds for. <laughs> for and sure. We'll just do that every year and we'll find some that work better in our zone even through the winter. Yeah, that's that's the, the way to way to do it. Um, in terms of gardening, um, what I guess what what style do you do you go with? What kind of do you do you have your raised beds? Do you just kind of do like some of the back to eat and deep mulch or do you just tilling the ground up every year how do what are you what are you doing well i remember once even in wisconsin the reason that we garden is for food and i had a friend who uh said wow you must really like gardening and i'm like no i like eating (laughs) you know and it's just it's just such a more cost effective and then trustworthy um way to do that too because you can trust the source so rather than having you know a ton of topsoil like we had up in wisconsin here we have rock and clay And rock doesn't do you much good. Clay does have minerals and nutrients and good things in it, but you can't really plant your potatoes in clay and then in the middle of the dry season, bust them out of that rock, you know? So with the amount of rocks that we have here, we decided we would just kind of scrape the earth bare, remove a lot of the the weeds and different things, cover it in a layer of mulch, and then wherever we wanted to garden, we pull back that mulch, use our rocks to make a, a raised bed, and then we fill that in. And we just keep adding it to it every year um, organic material, rabbit manure, compost, you know, whatever it is. And eventually our current garden is probably just going to be turned over into a permaculture food forest because we're heavily mulching the paths every year. And in about two years, it breaks down the wood mulch and stuff we're using into just a beautiful rich soil. So that's added to the new beds and we remulch the paths. But uh, eventually it'll be quite an established fertile ground. And uh, right now I think the uh, raised bed area would have probably about 50 rock raised beds of various shapes. Very cool. That's awesome. It's uh, holding on to that soil once you make it is always always the trick, kind of, you know, that starts to rain. We don't have rocks, but we do have clay and sand, and it just it rains, and everything washes away with it. So being able to, to capture some of that is definitely vital. Right, and the, nothing's flat Nothing's flat out here in the Ozarks either. I'll take pictures and people will be like, wow, those are some nice landscapes, but try holding your camera even with the horizon. And I'm like, <laughs> nothing's flat, you know, so it's all going to run downhill. Oh, man, that, that reminds me of like Vermont. Like we lived in Vermont for a little while and I remember trying to, we were looking at land and there was 10 acres and, and one acre maybe was like usable. Everything else was just at such a, a slope that you couldn't couldn't do anything. But so I guess are you are you doing any permaculture type stuff yet, or are you just kind of 
getting it set up, um, preparing, you know, the, the, the site for it or how, how does that go for you? Right. Um, a couple of things is we do keep things covered. Um, we do do a certain degree of what you could call a back to Eden style stuff. Also in our garden, like one of my raised beds, for instance, is, um, two apricot trees and underneath there, there's a couple of currant bushes and then as a ground cover, it's strawberries. Okay. So I have three layers of, you know, a perennial food bearing plants that all kind of work together and they've done quite well together and then mixed inside there too is actually some of the wild garlic from here. So this is kind of a pest deterrent. One more harvest you can get from that same bed. And over time, we're going to kind of be more, I don't know, I guess, you know, thoughtful in some of the things we do, but I'm just trying to build things up, establish things right now. And probably eventually we'll, the garden site currently is, is a bit from the house. If I was 70 years old or not able to walk well, I'd want a vegetable garden closer. So eventually we'll probably just kind of rewild that as a permaculture force. But right now it's, it's mixed between our annuals and perennials and a lot of them work really well together. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's where, where our personal hang up is. And I'm willing to bet that I'm probably not like the only person, but you know, I've, I've been doing this, have things sort of set up where they are and you know it's not ideal for a permaculture setting right the garden's a little too far away and you know really i should have thought that if i was going to put a pasture in that garden's in the perfect spot for where the pasture should be you know and those aren't things that i I didn't realize until afterwards you know and so as we move forward you know those are things that we're considering and and so you know i think we're going to put some raised beds this year in, in the the front of the house right where there's like nothing it's just kind of like a lawn and you know make some of that into to actually productive space i'm curious about the the fruit trees um because i know like we have clay um it's just rock hard and you know you can dig it in the the spring when it's wet a little bit how do you do for for fruit trees i've had a horrible time with the clay um they just get either wet or root bound or they just burn in the summer um so i'm curious how you managed to, to do that um so far we do have Oh, apples, pears, peaches, plums, uh, you know, apricots, other ones that are growing, but probably the oldest fruit trees that we've planted on the property. Um, there are wild plums and persimmons and stuff here growing naturally, but the oldest ones that we've planted are probably only about three years old. Um, we haven't, we've picked the fruit off of them, you know, after they flowered and began to fruit um, in the spring, we just picked the fruit off of them to let them kind of continue on their growing concentrate on the roots and we've done some pruning but so far we're not into a production stage and the one thing we do do is just a lot of top dressing whether it's uh raw rabbit manure or other things that we're adding just to make sure they're fed yeah. and getting enough of what they need to grow okay keep trying <laughs> um here you mentioned rabbits a few times i know you, you mentioned uh you mentioned goats there um what are you doing with them you just do you eat your goats do you milk your goats do you what else, what else can you do with a goat? <laughs> right. Right now we have some quails, some guineas, some ducks, some chickens, some dogs, some rabbits, some sheep, and a, uh, and a cow. Um, and the only goat we have, we actually kind of gave to our neighbors because um, they were getting into goats and we were going to concentrate on sheep for a while. Um, we did eat and milk our goats. Um, we're doing the same thing with our sheep. Um, we have 10 children. No, sorry. We have seven children almost now when my wife gives birth, but they're all 10 and under. But our 10-year-old is very hands-on with the animals. They all are. But she's like, Dad, can I milk the sheep? And I'm like, well, sure, give it a go. <laughs> you know, and sheep milk is amazing. It's great. It's common a lot of places. It's just not as common in America. But so any we get, 
limited resource from the animal zone. We do. Um, the dog, we don't eat. The rabbits, we don't eat dogs more for protection. The rabbits are just, uh, you know, manure producers and then a side thing to, uh, you know, sell off the extra and kind of keep uh, keep the feed bill lower because you're, you're selling some of them and stuff. But um, the one thing I will say is we started with raw land and simultaneously tried to make a place for us to live, which means clearing a driveway, clearing a house site, bringing a mobile home on the property. We tried to get about two of every animal that came off the ark and seven of the clean. And then we tried to take raw land and turn it into a garden and animals, a place for us to live and a garden all at the same time. I would never recommend that to anyone. <laughs> um, we made it through. How many kids but, did you have um, at that time? The problem that we did too with our, uh, well, we probably five <laughs> when we started and then six and now almost seven because it's been a, a five-year process, I guess. Um, but then the problem too, is we'd be like, Oh, here's a good deal on some sheep. So we'll put up a little fence, put them in there and let them eat it to nothing and then make some more fence and let them eat that to nothing. So our pastures became very depleted and we're in a process now of trying to build them back up, which was not the best way to do that. I'm curious how you're, you're doing that. Cause we have our, our house, um, it was all cow pasture before pretty much. Um, and it's, you know, we have some goats and a couple horses out there now. Um, and it's something that we're, you know, realizing now we really need to put some other pasture in, um, and really need to work on building up what is already there. Cause it's, you know, over the years it's been, it's been beat, you know, it's been beat up real hard. Um, so I'm curious kind of what, what you guys are hoping to do with that, how you're hoping to, to rebuild some of that. Yeah. So what we actually have now is at the end of 2019, I finally got the entire perimeter fenced in on our property. It's just shy of eight acres. Um, got it finally fenced in. And then us in the garden and the poultry are in the center of the property. So it's a little bit more work. I got a couple more things to do. We should be able to rotationally graze around the entire perimeter of the property. Um, and then hopefully just move the sheep and the dog, you know, kind of through on a whatever basis and keep the rest of us in the middle. Um, that should work out well. And we're still at a point where we have, we've got too many animals eating the pasture is, is the deal. Um, we're going to wait for this year to get our, uh, our sheep one last lambing season. And then we're going to be really selective with the ones we keep downsize that number. Cause you know, your flocks and stuff can double or more every year. Um, pretty, pretty easily. So um, we've eaten quite a few of them. Um, we've sold some and we'll just kind of do some more of that come the spring after we get our lambs and see who we want to keep. Cause we have the Jacob sheep, which are white with brown spots. And then they got like, well, they can have up to six horns, but you know, it's not uncommon for them just to have four horns. And uh, we're kind of trying to get back to breed standard off of a couple kind of uh, shaggy flocks we picked up. That's cool. I, I always, um, appreciate that when you kind of for some reason i don't know why is it the, the breed standard of, of whatever it is there's something i appreciate about having it look a certain way to add, i don't know um I'm, I'm wondering why what was that decision making process like when you guys decided to go uh for sheep versus goats um i'm not i guess they're probably easier would be the thing um we have jacob sheep which i said you know and they're um they're one of the unrefined breeds the unimproved breeds so they do pretty good just on their own without any interaction. Um, we do give them, you know, supplements and other things and some periodical natural uh, dewormer mixes with, you know, yarrow and some different stuff in it. But it seems like the goats were much more labor intensive to keep healthy. Um, they were always getting scours. They were always, you know, coming into issues. And uh, we got enough going on at the moment <laughs> that 
to invest that type of time into animals. You know, and even that last goat we had was a boar Kiko mix. Kiko is one of the better breeds for being parasite resistant and stuff. And uh, we were kind of going to transition what we were doing, but then we just decided, you know what, our sheep are doing great. Let's let's keep the sheep for now, and we'll uh, figure out the rest of life later. But they were just easier. Yeah, for us anyway. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Um, we have we we never had sheep. Um, we had thought about sheep. I was more interested in sheep than than my wife and and kids. But um, we do. We have a couple boar kiko, and then we have a couple like dairy goats, um, Nubians and and Sanans. And it, I I feel like I'm constantly out there trying to figure out what's wrong with them. Whether it's it's worms, are they getting too many minerals? Are they getting not enough minerals? Like what's going on? Um, it's 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 something. <laughs> it's not as scary as like a, a cow going down because it's, you know, the, the value, the money you have in them is not as much. But um, what, do you, what do you use the cow for? You milk the cow or are you going to eat that bad boy? We uh, originally, when we were getting out of pigs, um, a neighbor offered to trade us a Dexter heifer for three piglets. And I'm like, man, I can get maybe 50 bucks a pig for these. He could get like 500 bucks for this. And I'm like, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> he goes, no, I know what I'm doing. I said, okay, well, as long as you're fine with it, you know, I don't want to rip you off unawares if you know i'm ripping you off and it's your idea and that's what you want to do <laughs> we'll receive the blessings so we got one and uh, the goal was just to you know raise this thing up from little and you know that type of stuff and uh it jumped the fence in with the neighbor's herd kind of ran wild with that for almost like two years um a year and a half we were up to too much to invest the time eventually you couldn't catch it it became a very wild creature with some you know decent horns for dexter that if I tried to confront it, just wanted to play rodeo clown. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> thankfully, he switched his bulls. He said he could get that one bred for us. So we dropped it back off by him, um, picked it back up, bred, and uh, turned her loose again with the neighbors. And then eventually, when she had the baby, we figured this is the best time ever to actually, you know, isolate her and get her into something. So we got the baby, got her into something, and uh, she rejected the baby. Uh, we wound up, uh, I wound up shooting her and eating her. And it was small enough, you know, cow to do ourselves as far as processing and stuff. And the cool thing is then her baby was a bottle baby and we're doing everything opposite <laughs> with that baby. And she's wonderful. She's friendly. The kids, yeah, lead her around constantly. And she, her main purpose is going to be our, our milk cow, our homestead milk cow. But then also she'll either throw us some more heifers for, you know, potential source of income or some, you know, young ones, young steers for uh, meat. Yeah. Very cool. That's uh, my neighbors keep keep trying to pressure me into to getting a cow. I'm just I'm not sure we're there yet. <laughs> so if you you have if you have the cow for milk and you have the sheep, um, I know you have a a mess of kids there. Are you gonna have a surplus of milk, or are you gonna probably consume it all? Uh, most likely, we'll be consuming it all, and uh, even with you know milking the sheep. Um, but we do have some neighbors who do goat's milk. We have some other neighbors, neighbors who do Jersey cows. So there's always plenty of fresh raw milk, which, you know, was illegal in my homeland, raw milk. Yeah. But um, <laughs> here here it's okay, you know, and stuff. So That's that's awesome. So I guess with, with we'll, we'll move on to the, uh, the homeschooling side of things. Um, was that something you guys always wanted to do? What happened with us is um, when we met each other, you know, we just realized uh, – we wanted to get married. Um, I was terrified of my wife at first, um, just because I knew I could really go for her, and I didn't want to go for her hard and then be hurt hard. You know, it's easier not to get hurt. But um, we walked into a church to get married, kind of began getting exposed to the Bible and things of God at that point, and 
we had two little kids and as we were going to have our third and our first children came one at a time in less than three years. So the third one showed up before the first turn three and somebody had given us a DVD and all it was, was part of it was just showing statistics of, you know, like kids from Christian homes who go to public school and how many of them keep the faith right? and kids from Christian homes who are homeschooled and how many of them keep the faith. And I'm like, if this is all the information we ever had, like our decision would be made if one of our most important things is to teach our children the way of God, it wouldn't make sense to send them somewhere that he's not allowed for the vast majority of their waking hours. So we began at that. And then as we began contemplating it too, it's like school is generally, I would consider it a sterile environment where real life, real life skills are tried to be reproduced in a way that doesn't make any sense. Um, my children can measure a line, but then we can cut it and we can build a birdhouse. Measuring lines on, this, on a piece of paper is disconnected from real life and it loses its importance, its, its kind of drive. Or same thing with writing a letter. Um, a lot of our kids' penmanship is writing letters to different friends or relatives. Then we make a copy to show the work that they've done and we mail off the original. Mm-hmm. And they build a relationship rather than, you know, a, 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 B, 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 you know, or whatever it may be. No, I, I hear that. I hear that. Um, so did you guys, I, cause I know you kind of watching videos and stuff. You guys are out, outside a lot, doing a lot of stuff. Do you guys do like a inside curriculum that you have set, um, that you, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z today, or do you kind of take on more of like a unschooling sort of style? Um, one thing is we do have a, a structure. We do have a, a level of authority. I think even some unschooling is almost having the parents like just let their kids completely choose everything from themselves. And there really is no, no real supervision or things like that. Uh, I've, I've seen some of that. I'm not saying everyone who right. runs schools or calls themselves that would fall into that category, but they do have a number of workbooks and other things. But then a lot of it too is, uh, we just supply them with the things, you know, our daughters would be like, Hey, you know, they have a young uh, Amish cookbook some friends got us for, for children, you know, and they're like, hey, can we make this dessert tonight? And just different things like that, too, where they follow a recipe and other things. And one of the things that baffled me was just the concept of home ec, you know, where you take children out of their homes <laughs> to send them to school to teach them things from home. And I get that a lot of people, you know, don't grow up with two parents. They don't grow up eating three meals together at a family table. They don't cook their own food. And I, it's a sad state of affairs, but it's just a. Uh, for kids who do, it would really be ridiculous to send them to school to learn home ec. You know? Yeah, and even the stuff you learn in home ec that you would think that you would learn um, isn't isn't there. It's not, you know. But and it's funny you say that about your your kids there and the, the recipe. My um, there's a, a older guy who lives down the road. His mother put together some sort of cookbook of hers, like from you know all the recipes, and they're they're all old timey like southern recipes. And my my son like loves to get it out, and he just will make things like randomly out of there. And it's, it's amazing how much like actual learning and thought goes into to some of that stuff that you do kind of daily. You just, you know, all those skills that you learn that you wouldn't necessarily learn in a classroom. Right. And once you can understand, you know, the English language, you have an understanding of reading, you know, a couple of measurements and you can follow directions like that unleashes all of that. You can grab a cookbook at random and run with it. It's cool to see seven nine ten year olds do that and want to do that so yeah if they want dessert they know they can usually get dessert <laughs> if they offer to make something <laughs> yep yep so what workbooks do you guys use what uh, kind of curriculum do you use we've used uh, a wide variety of stuff okay. um 
we really have. And there's definitely some, you know, there's Bob Jones curriculum. There was some answers in Genesis stuff. There was a Becca book. There was other things. And what we find, or even some of the, like, uh, the Mennonite stuff, um, it seems that while they all try to kind of encompass everything, um, there's ones that work best for us, or we may like the way that they do English better or the way that they do math or different things. So it's it's a hodgepodge based on uh, kind of our preferences, but then also what works for the children. And there's a lot of resources out there. And a lot of it, too, just kind of comes even, uh, you know, from the life of things. Um, between last year and this year, you know, my children and my wife included, have hatched up to five different species of wild reptiles in their hands <laughs> where they had, you know, three different types of snakes and two different types of lizards that they actually got to hang onto the egg as it was hatching and hatching their hand. And You know, it's a great opportunity to talk about a lot of things, learn a lot of things. And cool thing is in the United States, you know, rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, and copperheads are three of the main you know, venomous snakes besides the coral snakes. Well, copperheads, cottonmouths, and, you know, rattlesnakes, none of them lay eggs. So if you live in an area with those and you don't have coral snakes, you <laughs> find eggs. You, know, you don't need to squish them because they're bad snakes or anything. But uh, so we do a lot of hands-on, hands-on learning. Yeah. And I think that when you homeschool, when you get involved and, and you're more, and when you throw that extra layer of kind of that, that homesteading thing and having that stuff and being outside, it adds just that whole other layer of, of, of learning, of like real life experience learning and respect. You know, I think like a lot comes out of that, you know, seeing something hatch out of an egg in your hand, you have a whole, so much more respect, I think, like for that creature, for that thing, you know, as you watch it develop, as you watch it, you know, it was this egg and now it's this living thing. And, and, and then you see its adult form somewhere else. It's just, I don't know. For me anyway, I think that's, that's a big thing. And we, we've tried to do that to, to some degree. We always have an aquarium with something in it. Right. It's interesting too, um, as a lot of families, you know, do have a range of children rather than, you know, one or two. And one thing that we noticed early on is, of course, the older children then get to learn a lot of parenting skills as they have these younger siblings to interact with. But one thing we're noticing right now is that those younger ones, because you're in the same house. So as the older ones are doing their math, well, the four-year-old's picking up on stuff, or even earlier, you know, our three-year-old, um, he was saying, like, you know, I was doing the mortar on the uh, on the wood stove built these natural rocks we get from the creek, and he goes, usually, dad gets two bags, and he uses them both, but there's one more over there in case he needs it or something. It's just like, wow, just even thinking, you know, it's sort of simple counting up to two, but then knowing that both is what applies to it and other things, and, you know, he's... In a lot of conversations, he's exposed to a lot of words. Yeah. Different things. It just struck me just how well-spoken he was and the deep understanding of the whole concept just from being around and watching. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, I don't know, I feel like I've seen a, a meme or something like that, but where it's like just that, that idea that, right, when you treat a child like as, as a normal part of society, right, or when they're around those interactions and they see those things, they take them in and they learn. When you put them in a, in a room full of 10 other five-year-olds, four-year-olds, 20 other four-year-olds, like the behavior doesn't, it mimics itself and it just is this like little chaotic mass. If you really want people to grow and, and to, you know, develop intellectually, like put them at a higher level. They'll pick up on what they, they, they can, what they're capable of, you know? And, and I think that I don't know. There's there's a lot to be to be said for that to to incorporating your your children. I think into life, <laughs> and not just tucking them away. Um, right. A lot of times, 
um, they would be the ones who'd take care of a lot of my business dealings. You know, if we're at the store doing something, you know, I'd make them pay or other things too. And a lot of people ask about homeschooling, like, well, what about socialization? Mm -hmm. And it's like, when's the last time you hung out with 20 or 30 people your exact age? That never happens in the world. Yeah. It happens in school, but it never happens in the world. And it's a, it's a false socialization. It doesn't prepare them, you know, for, for real world interactions. And I think one thing I, I've said for some years and I've noticed, um, and I can't stress enough, so I'm just going to point it out here, but even with children, you know, often we get comments about how helpful our children are and how willing they are to help. And the thing I've noticed is that when a child is little, you know, I had my one-year-old come up to me the other day, I was working on a project and she comes and sits down next to me and hands me every single tool <laughs> that was there. Obviously, that's not actual help, but she's got this willingness in her heart. And what I find too often is that young kids get told, you know, they can't help or they're too little or no, 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 no. And then by the time they are able to help, they no longer have the desire. So we like to encourage that desire, whether it's the desire to help, the desire to learn and let them work on that, you know, have that desire while they work on skills and work on experience and work on capabilities. Um, but keep that underlying, you know, driving force of the desire to help, the desire to learn and not crush that. I even read somewhere where most children, I think they stopped drawing you know, like their own pictures by five or six mm -hmm. because they've received so much either ridicule or discouragement that they just give up because it's easier for them not to draw and receive the discouragement. I can hear that. So I guess, yeah, your guys all kind of roll together then. Do they, when you're, when you're doing the homeschooling with the, the older ones, the younger ones ever kind of, what they, they get into it? Do they, they, you know, try to eat, eat their siblings homework or anything like that? They do. They do. And even, you know, the younger ones being in that context, um, this morning, for instance, mom's working with the children. We already had our morning devotions and breakfast. I'm working on mortaring, you know, this thing in my living room. And they're between the living room and the kitchen table. I'm working on school. And the one-year-old comes up to, I think it was the nine-year-old, and she goes, oh, well, she needs a workbook too. You know, like she wants to do what they're doing because she just considers it what we do. So they gave her a sheet of paper and a pencil and just kind of let her do her own thing. But she's getting in that habit by the time we you know she's four or five and you give her something to work with where she's drawing a letter or a number or something. It's She's accustomed to it, you know. Yep. I'll let you go in here. A couple of things. So I know you're, you uh, you have a ton of videos out there and it seems like you're you're always working on just you got one project after another, uh, but you still manage to to find time to uh, enjoy it. Um, how do how do you how do you pull that off? You know, pretty much as we transition from working, you know, a job for somebody else, which we still do periodically, and living in a home someone else built on some land you're not allowed to do anything on, to moving out to raw land and doing all this stuff, um, I felt like a 15 year old who'd really only played video games his whole life. I had no real skill set, no frame of reference for a lot of it. So everything was this giant learning curve. And then in 2016, um, you know, you mentioned Steemit earlier when when that came out and I heard you could make money online doing it. I'm like, well, you know, I could use a home-based income. So I really began to heavily get invested in that with uh, even just taking photos, uh, making videos. And the whole reason I started YouTube was just to have videos to share on Steemit. Um, so now kind of as a content creator, um, videoing vlogging life um creating content out of what i'm doing has become just kind of part of what i do and i still most days over the week i'll put out a youtube video i'll have some other posts online and i used to make the joke like you know don't do anything for free yeah. you know if you're if you're yeah. making breakfast 
take some pictures of it, turn it into some sort of, you know, revenue, make a video of it, you know, these type of things. So I can kind of spin a lot of life that way. And I know it slows me down like crazy because not only do you have to film it and catch these different angles and different shots, but then the editing process and the whole upload and everything else. But uh, I think it's obviously good for other people to see. Yeah. Um, and even as you mentioned earlier, um, I forget exactly what it was, but you mentioned some sort of mistake that you made. Oh, where you put your uh, garden where a pasture yeah. should have been yeah. really. <laughs> the more open and honest people can be about our mistakes, you know, the better those other generations can come. You know, one mistake I believe I made before was, you know, we went into debt. Um, it's common in America. It's common in the world. But really, your life's going to be a lot better if you're not earning a whole bunch of money to pay interest. So if you can find debt-free ways to do things, you know. But the more people that are honest about their mistakes, I think the better it'll be for those who are following. Yeah, and I think that can be a daunting task on on a um, platform that, uh, you know, it has no ends, right? It'll be there kind of forever, and whoever wants to see it can see it. And, you know, admitting some of those mistakes can be tough. But I, I do appreciate the the fact that all the information is out there, right? Like you can find, if there's a project you want to do, you can find it somewhere on, on YouTube. You can find mm-hmm. it somewhere out there. And like, I can't tell you how many times I've built things or had ideas for things that I go and I look around and, you know, find a couple different ways to do it and then, you know, make, make my own variation of that. And it's, it's useful, you know, like when you're trying to put things together from, from scratch or do it, you know, in, in a cheap, way um you know having all that information out there is is vital but um yeah i, I appreciate all the videos here it's uh they're, they're fun to watch and of course i'll put that that link in the show notes there and i know you also are an author you've, you've got a uh, couple yeah. books out there why don't you tell us about that what are, what are those i wouldn't even say that it came from a love of writing or anything like that but documenting things is a great way to do things and a lot of times when i sort through different issues um if I can actually type up my thoughts and then come back and look at them later, it seems to help. So I we have three books we've released so far. They span a wide range of subjects. Um, the first one was actually called 50 Days to Understanding the End Times More Accurately. It was based on what I believe the Bible actually reveals about the end times. And it kind of uh, just slowly and methodically, because it's in a devotional you know, um, setting where you just open the book and you read the left side of the page the right side of the page on the open page then you move on you know that's that's your day's you know amount to digest but it just kind of exposes the unbiblical idea of this whole pre-tribulational rapture and all sorts of other stuff that's very common um the second one was actually a story that my dad made up and would tell our children about a farmer who had a pet armadillo (laughs) well they were down last fall i guess and uh, my 10-year-old took all the photos. We caught an armadillo. And I'm like, you know what? We can just shoot this quick. I played the main I played the main character of the farmer, and she shot all the photos for this thing. We edited them in a way that would make them a nice black and white presentation. And from my dad's story and kind of my production and her photos, we took three generations of our family and made this cool, fun little uh, kid's book. That's Obviously, awesome. my dad thought it was fantastic as a presentation of his story and stuff. And uh People have definitely liked it. And then the third one we just released was uh, why we homestead, because we get that question a lot. Yeah. And it just kind of lays forth our personal journey and beliefs and thoughts on it. And I got a couple more in the works. But one thing I do like about books, too, is, you know, if you work an hourly wage and you want another hourly wage, you know, amount of money, you have to go work another hour with something like a book. Once it's released, you don't have to write it again. If somebody buys another pop, you know, copy 
then you can have another, you know, income from it. And, you know, same thing with YouTube videos or other things. I'm trying to get creative and find various things I can do from home to earn a money for our family. And the more we drop the cost of living and the less we need, the better the chances I could actually accomplish that. And even now I'm on a little break as we await the birth of our next child. But I spent uh, some weeks down in Lake Charles, Louisiana, doing a lot of hurricane cleanup and rebuilding stuff. Uh, But I'd rather not do that. I'd rather be here um, doing things from home. Yeah, of course. I think that's goals. Yeah, I'm there with you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Before I, before I let you go, any any advice that you would give someone out there that's um, I don't know, thinking about homesteading, just just starting, or thinking about homeschooling, or anything in there that um, you think people people ought to know? The one piece of encouragement I would give you is that one day you're going to be dead. Um, yeah, may not sound <laughs> very encouraging to start with, but you have a short window of opportunity upon this earth to do things that make your life work for you. So just because it's the way people say it's always been or the way that they're doing things now does not mean that you have to do it. Um, if it's not going to make you happy, if it's not going to other things, I personally did want to get a job from when I'm 20 to 60 and have to be there five days a week or more, you know, and get my week or two worth of vacation and do that till hopefully if I'm, my body isn't spent working that job, maybe when my kids are grown and I didn't see them much and, you know, we're finally maybe out of debt then maybe we can go on a cruise or I can enjoy my old wife for a bit as we, you know, Mm -hmm. cripply walk around the planet. You know I mean? Like it didn't sit right with me. And I thought, you know, when I, when I grew up, what I want to be is a husband and a father, a godly husband and a father, that's my top three priorities. So I began restructuring my life to fit that. That's me. So that'd be one piece of advice. And another thing is it's very, very hard. Um, A lot of people look at my life and they say, well, it's really hard. And I say, well, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning too. It's hard to wake up the first time the alarm goes off. I can't base my life off of what takes effort. You know, it's all going to take effort no matter what it is. So work for it. Come up with your own goals. And I guess that'd be the other piece of advice. Have a clue of what you want to do. I think a lot of times people get very deep in debt. They've got a lot of work demands. And uh, by the end of the day, maybe they just want to watch television shows or, you know, get drunk or high or whatever it is they do to relax. And they're so paycheck to paycheck. They're so on the hamster wheel. They don't even think about anything long-term that they want out of their life. How did they get themselves off that hamster wheel? How did they break free? What steps would they actually take to get to a different destination rather than the one they don't want to go to? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, contemplate life. Think about it and figure out actual goals that you can work towards. Yep. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the... Um just the day to day and not have that, that bigger picture, you know, just get through the day, just, um, get it, get it done and done with work and get to the weekend and, you know, just not actually picturing five years down the road, two years down the road, 10 years down the road. And it's hard to do. It's, it's not something easy to do. I, I don't do well at it myself, but, um, I think I'm getting better at it. I, right, I even, may not. <laughs> or even to begin to generationally think, you know, do things in your life now that'll set your children or their children up, uh, there's people who do that mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and they stay very well set in this world yes, and sir. the rest of us just kind of run around for crumbs and uh, we don't have. Yep. Good. Good advice. I like that. Um, tell the, the fine folks out there where, where they can go to find all your, all your stuff, all your places that you are. Sure. Um, one easy thing to do, just type in P-A-P-A, Papa, P-A-P-A, Pepper into your uh you know like search engine and all sorts of random weird stuff will come up Um, the main (laughs) places you're going to find me is going to be on youtube and a lot of our links 
are in our YouTube description, whether it's to our Etsy store, because we do sell a lot of our own seeds that we save. Um, other things, the links to the books are going to be there. And um, then I also pretty much still blog daily on things like Hive and Steemit. So if you just type in, you know, Papa Pepper Hive, H-I-V-E, or Steemit, S-T-E-E-M-I-T, you can kind of see daily blogs. But the main, you know, daily video stuff is going to come out on YouTube. So, and it's got a lot of links in the description. Right. I will, I will put all of them in there. And uh, thanks for coming on. Wish you wish you luck with uh, number seven. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. and I am back. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, I did. It was great to talk to him. And he mentioned that his his wife was pregnant. Well, she's not pregnant anymore. They uh, welcomed their, their little one into the world. Uh, man, I can't remember now because we recorded a little while ago, but it was beginning of January um, that, that she actually gave birth. As far as I know, everybody's healthy and doing well. So good on that. Um, Go check out the show notes, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 103. In there, you can find a link to uh, Papa Pepper's YouTubes and all the videos there he does, um, as well as a link to his his Amazon page with his books that he uh, writes. Have his books. I, I enjoy his books. My, my kids love the armadillo book, although it has given them some ideas that they think they should go catch an armadillo, which... Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things, right? Some people tell you that, that uh, they're going to give you leprosy and, uh, and get you sick. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think it's not, not quite so much a problem. But of course, you know, I, I do. I think that's probably kind of rare. But uh, all the same, not quite sure I want to risk it. I have an extra copy of his Why Do We Homestead book. And uh, if you are interested in getting that copy in your little mitts, go ahead and shoot me an email. The uh, First person to shoot me an email at homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. I'll, uh, I'll ship it out to you. You can enjoy his writing along with my myself. I think that's it for today, guys. Um, come back next week. I'll have a, another interview, the little show for you here. Go check out the, uh, the YouTube channel. I'm starting to upload some videos where you can find it on, on Odyssey on, uh, library platform and uh actually i prefer you do it there if you're gonna do it at all but uh, those links should be in the show notes hope you guys are enjoying things uh starting to get a little warmer down here i think now starting to look forward to spring days are getting a little bit longer so anyway guys remember to get out there sow those seeds of liberty we can all reap sheaves of freedom together Dream.